0: Hello, historians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Today, I have with me licensed mental health counselor and author of Codependent Discovery Recovery 2.0, Mary Joy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mary. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate being here, sharing with you. I'm, I'm so excited. You know, we had such a good warm-up chat. I'm so, I'm so yes. ready for everyone to join in in our conversation here. <laughs> yes. It's
1: riffing, as you put it. I love it. Riffing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I think that you can tell your story best. Can you share with us where you started and how you've become the woman that you are
1: today? That is, a, that is a loaded question and I will do my best to answer it succinctly. I started uh, growing up on a beach. I'll just put it this way. My childhood was a lot like Bud on Flipper. If anyone ever <laughs> seen an old episode of Flipper, I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida and there was no age limit to boating. So we had a little beater boat and I would drive around all day and I just grew up on the Gulf Coast near a fishing village. My dad was the only doctor for miles. Then he became a psychiatrist. Then, to fast forward, I loved theater because my mom would take me out of school and take me to theater. So, I became a theater major, which is a lot about human behavior, about observation and portrayal of human behavior. And uh, I rebelled against my father and did not go into psychiatry or psychology. Well, he didn't want me to go into psychology, but psychiatry as he wanted me to do. I became the theater major, which much to his dismay (laughs) was difficult. Then my first job out of college, I worked for KISS as a makeup artist and helped them get dressed and ready for shows. Then I had always written songs my whole life, because in my childhood, I went through some Accidents and some abuses and things. And I learned how to play piano just being bored, witless. Mm. And I was writing songs from when I was a child. So I became a songwriter in Nashville, and Gene Simmons helped me get to Nashville. Mm. Then I was writing at Warner Brothers, and the world caved in. Mm. The internet had taken over. The very thing we're using now is the very thing that destroyed royalties, and Napster was out and all the lawsuits. And so I had to reinvent. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, the natural progression for me would be um, to become a therapist. And that is pretty much how that happened. Because again, it was getting in touch with people's emotions. That's what music people do. That's what writing songs is. And I do songwriting therapy in my practice now. And lyric, you know, I write poetry with people or if they write, I invite them to bring it in. I I do a lot of creative uh, and traditional methods of therapy. So in a nutshell that's kind of how I got to do it because Warner Brothers sold to AOL and I had to reinvent and I had 2.5 uh, years to do it and it took me 2.8. Mm. And then I had other little side things I had to do to get extra hours. It, it you can do it anyone can do it. I was 45 when I went back to graduate school. Anybody wow. can do it.
0: That's amazing. That you're so right. There there's no time limit on any yeah. of that, right? Like I think so so much of society, really, to put it really broadly, it gives us this very strange, like, if you haven't become wildly successful in whatever you're trying to do by the time you're 27, um, you are, you know, stuck in whatever you're going to do for the rest of your life. And it's
1: like, wow, that's exactly. Like- So not true. No, so so not true. So much more time. I'm still, I'm still reinventing. I still add on and do things in life. I just don't stop. I got a mediation certificate. I, I, there's always something good to learn and always something good to learn from somebody else. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I read a, an article in this woman, um, was saying how much she, when the pandemic hit, she was uh, a woman in her late eighties. And she was saying that it actually like being stuck at home, but then having access to these things around the world that she wouldn't have had before through zoom, through all these things. And she was saying like, it's kept me interested. And she was like, for her, for her, her whole life, her only, Desire was to always remain interested in something, not be an interesting person, but be interested yes. in things. And she was like, right. Uh, she was saying that her favorite thing now is like learning about all these birds in some aviary in like India right now. Like she's like obsessed with it. And that's so real that you can, any point in your life, be like, you know what? I think. I need to find something else that is drawing my attention toward it. Like
1: there's a reason. (laughs) There's a reason. And it was too late for me to get a PhD because of the time Mm. and the, the economics of it as, as you love economics. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I discovered counseling, which was a natural progression for me. So Mm -hmm. yes, it, it there are sometimes it's too late for certain things, but it's never too late to learn new things. And it also, just as an aside, it staves off Alzheimer's and dementia to learn something. Yes, yes. So, yes, it's just for anyone out there worried about their brain, if you're good to your brain, it'll be good to you because I love <laughs> neuroscience.
0: What a cool thing that we have as a species! What an incredible ability that we can yes. be interested in things and then investigate those things. Yes. Oh,
1: awesome <laughs> like, yes <laughs> humans are amazing That's humans so cool. are amazing <laughs> so obviously you did you know
0: go into the mental health field later did you know that you wanted to always was it kind of in the back of your mind just because you know that your your father was was in it or was it really just kind of a oh like an aha
1: moment it was a intervention. Well, a reinvention intervention. I did mm. not want to go into mental health. <sighs> I rebelled against it. Being raised by a psychiatrist is a lot like a preacher's kid. Oh, uh, I had to be perfect. You couldn't have any problems. You mm. couldn't tell any family secrets. <laughs> and I'll tell you, having gone on psychiatry conventions and made the American Psychiatric Association not sue me, but having been in places far and wide with 40 and 50 psychiatrists in the same room. It's an eye opener because when they are just themselves on mass like that, I rebelled against it because I was looking at it through a, a teenagers, you know, a teenager's rebellious, um, set of lenses that said the beautiful thing, because I was raised like butt on flipper. <laughs> my dad, when I said, dad, I want to take scuba lessons. And when he says, who's going to pay for them? And I, and I say, well, you are my dear old dad. I mean, they were only $60 back then. Oh my goodness. I was 14. Yeah. I was a child. <laughs> and he said, I won't pay for anything that kills you. So I had to work in his office filing and doing reception work mm-hmm. and art therapy because I was an artsy kid. And uh, I helped him in his practice. I drove him sometimes. I go on house calls. I did not see such good things. So mm. no, I, that's why I rebelled mainly mm. because of the house calls and the things that I saw. Yeah. It, was, it was traumatic, but uh, that all led me full circle because when I started realizing that I love the creative arts, I don't see anything dissimilar to it now. Mm. So no, I rebelled and my father actually disowned me it part through when I was a theater major, probably about three years into my, my studies as a theater major at the University of Florida. So I, I put myself through school as a stagehand, and that is how I got the job on the KISS tour. I mm. put myself through school as a stagehand. Their manager noticed me. So I went from a stage hand, which was like being a therapist, but no, I didn't want to, but it was natural when I did have to reinvent. I said, well, if it's, if I'm 45 and I have to go back to school, it has to be something I know something about. Mm. And I, I, it was either law or therapy and lawyers, not all lawyers fight for a living, but I'm not a fighter. Mm -hmm. I am a solution focused person. So Mm. I chose, I took the LSAT, but I chose to go to mental health counseling, because it was just a more natural thing for me. And I was always helping people anyway. It was kind of, I was kind of born that way. So I always said, I went pretty much went to law school in six weeks down here in Florida, but I love being a a mediator. It helps people find common ground and collaborate. Mm. They, They call it collaborative law. They like mental health counselors where I am to do that. So I, I added that to, um, I I call it adding to your personal value, not Mm. not financially, but to your personal value, uh, to just kind of expand on what you already know. And they invited mental health counselors to do that uh, where I am. So it's nice because people really do need a good perspective in a very emotional time in their life. No divorce is a good one. So Mm. Mm -hmm. and you know taking care of children. So I enjoy doing that too. But I mostly do counseling almost yeah. exclusively. So. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean that you know that that makes sense when emotions are so heightened in in situations like a divorce and there's kids involved. It's hard to see someone else's perspective when you're in yes. it, when you're part of it. You can't understand why this person would ever do this thing and it's like, yes. well, like take a step back, let's look at it. Look at Yes, how- and a
1: mediator comes in like like uh a neutral party Mm -hmm. and helps people find what they can agree on. Mm. And um, it's, it's a lovely process. Mm. It is. I love that. Well, why don't you tell us about your book? My book is about codependency and people say, well, I'm not even sure what codependency is. So I'm going to put it in one sentence (laughs) and then give you some symptoms. What codependency I'll first I'll start with what it's not codependency is not a formal diagnosable disorder from any diagnostic manual. Mm. And I say, it's not that because codependents are the kind of people that say, I don't need help. I'm fine. Mm. I can, I can do anything for anyone. Well, I had to learn the hard way that you can't, I am a recovered codependent, uh, and a pretty severe one. And I still battle that every day. Cause it's like an addiction. You know, you get dopamine from helping people and you've got to be really, really careful. Like mm. it, as a performer, you're giving they call it giving a performance and you are pouring your heart out on a stage and then you're leaving. And then you've just poured your heart out. And then you come back and go, where's all the people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I used to, to, I used to ask Gene Simmons at and other people too, the performance. I said, how do you leave an arena full of 80,000 people and then go to an empty hotel room? It's, it's, you know, it's very strange, but, um, The book is about codependency, which means you lose yourself taking care of others. Mm -hmm. So now that you know what is not, that's what it is. You lose yourself caring for others to your own detriment, Mm -hmm. not just necessarily caring for other people. Symptoms of it are people pleasing, approval seeking, Mm -hmm. perfectionism, Mm -hmm. not feeling good enough, false feelings of guilt that you've never done enough, Mm -hmm. saying yes when you mean no and no when you mean yes. Yes. You know, do you just, you just feel like it's never enough or that you're too much or too little. You just have to rescue and fix people. The other side of codependency is people who are like the, you're going to do what I say, and I'm going to take control of you. And they're more controlling. There's like doormat to controller mm-hmm. nagging type, mm-hmm. like the doormat will do I'll any, I'll do anything you want. And the controller is more like, I'm going to do anything it takes to get you better for they want to fix people who don't want to be fixed. Mm. So either one is all the driven by a subconscious fear of abandonment and it's very dangerous because you, when your greatest strength is your greatest weakness and my book starts out that way if your compassion turns to a compulsion to help people you're that's you might be a codependent.
0: Mm. Wow. Wow. A need to be needed
1: instead of a want to be wanted. It's much more important to want to be wanted instead of needing to be needed.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Did you was there like something that clicked in yourself
1: when you realized, oh, I'm I'm yes. struggling with this? Oh, yes. I was going into my internship in graduate school. So I was probably 47 or 48 years old. Mm-hmm. And my professor who was my supervisor, who was a recovered codependent herself and and a neuropsychologist called me up after class. And it's really scary to be called up after class when you're the same age as your professor, (laughs) or maybe I might've been older, I don't know, but about the same age. And she said, my job is not to worry about you counseling. My job is to worry about you being so codependent. She said, you're so codependent, they're gonna eat you alive in your internship because my internship was in a drug and alcohol rehab and I was not in recovery myself. So Mm. they did. And my answer to her was, no, I'm not. I'm just being nice. And she said, no, (laughs) you're codependent. You have no boundaries. They're good. That, And she was very, very right. I made a lot of mistakes within that context. And that's what you're in internships to learn. So I had to learn to self-care and to, uh, take some hits from other counselors and go, yeah, yep. Yeah, I did it again. I got sucked in. Mm. There's empathy and sympathy and they would push on my sympathy buttons and Mm. empathy would kick in because codependents have an over empathic sense. Mm. And uh, I learned, Mm. I learned, I'm still (laughs) learning. I'm a work in progress. It still happens. And it's, it sucks. Cause it's
0: like, yeah, when you, that's what an amazing strength to have to want to help people. But then when it becomes, like you said, this compulsion, this idea that like, I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. Am I doing yes. enough? Am I helping these people enough? Are they getting everything they need to get? And then right. you're, you're just going a million miles a minute. And then you're not taking the time to
1: like assess yourself and saying, like, Am yeah. I good? Am I good today? Right. Like, yeah. What- you take on their problems and, and you try to fix them even when they don't want them to be fixed. The thing they ingrain in us, it is so difficult. And to any listener who has trouble with giving unsolicited advice, because that is one of the symptoms, too. Mm. And we all do it and we all want to do it, but for three years of graduate school. We were taught you can't give advice you can't give advice you can't give advice and it's really hard not to give advice and i just gave it to people do you see how hard it is not to give advice i just gave advice to people who give advice <laughs> that's how hard it is but i just did it but uh because number one you could be wrong and number right. two it could be wrong for them mm-hmm. and number three don't we all learn from our mistakes we don't learn from the good stuff sometimes mm-hmm. you have to allow people to make the mistakes they have to make to come back and revisit it with no judgment and you just explore options and say, here's your options. Here's what's likely to happen with these options, but the decision is ultimately yours and to be supportive instead of directive Mm -hmm. because directive is more like a life coach. And I do life coaching too, but, but counseling is more about, um, being supportive of people making their own decisions and listening to them and help them to listen to themselves. That's the key. Mm -hmm.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about the, um, you know, the unsolicited advice being a symptom of it, but that totally makes sense. And it's something where, yeah, everybody's different. So what worked for you, unless you like, unless someone's asking for your advice and then you put in the, like, this is what worked for me. It might not work for you, but this is what I did. And this is what happened. Yes. (laughs) If you're doing it that way, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's better than just being like, well, yes, you should do
1: this because this like, yes, exactly. And that's what, that's what makes my book a really self-help experience because at the end of every chapter, uh, it's a good time to, to mention this because it is, it is the core of, of healing individually. Cause it's not a one size fits all healing. As you just heard, there's a spectrum. So how could there be one method to heal doormats to controllers to everything in between because people vacillate between those roles. Uh, At the end of each chapter is a life list, a bullet point, very simple life list, the left column and a right column that the reader's writing about what they don't want in their life and what they do. So when the book is over, they're only left with what's right Mm-hmm. And they discard, ceremoniously discard it, the left side of the negative list of things they don't want. So they have written their own self-help book that they can just keep in a little notebook or whatever they choose to do it with. And they're, they're going to walk away because most self-help books, you don't get a lot of takeaways. They're taking away their own words, not mine, theirs. Right. So it's, it, that's what makes it a little different. There's neuroscience in it. And meditations. I do still write meditation music, and uh, mm. there's there'll be YouTube meditations with it that people can access after they read the book.
0: I love that. I love that. I'm all, I'm a big fan of guided meditations. Elicit this very specific response, like yes. in your brain.
1: I feel like yes. there's
0: science behind it. There has to be. Oh yes. It's in my book, actually. (laughs) There's
1: theta waves. You're in that theta state, like children walk around. Children don't um, think they're Superman when they put a red cape on their shoulders. They are Superman. Mm. So Yes. It attaches that theta state of, of getting your subconscious and touch with your consciousness, which is why it's called mediation, um, meditation, not mediation. We talked about that earlier, but meditation, it's the, it's the middle ground between your conscious and subconscious. So, so all those exercises in the book connect those two. So that's, that's what makes it a little different. I've got neuroscience in it, and it's very important to know about your vagus nerve and all the things that yeah. key into our behavior it's physiology and biology mm-hmm. not just psychology
0: yeah and there's something about writing with a pen you know there's or pencil whatever crayon doesn't matter yes. it's like something about I've, I've said it a few times before but I will never not say it there's something about actually getting the words out of your brain not typing them but literally picking up a pen and writing it down. Cause then you can see it and it's a tangible thing. It's no yes. longer this thought that's just continuously bouncing around in your head. And once it's there, once you can look at it, then you can really like assess it in a much yes. more um, productive manner. Cause otherwise yes, yes. you're never going to actually address it. Cause it's not real when it's quote unquote, not real when it's still in your head. But as soon as you have to look at it, you can be like, I really don't want toxic people in my life anymore that are going to manipulate me. Like, what can I do to actually make
1: this a thing? It is magic when you put your pen or pencil on paper, because it slows your brain down and it it sets it forth to achieve it. There's all kinds of neuroscience behind that. It's actually in the book. So I won't bore you with a neuroscience lecture, (laughs) but all the brainwaves and why this stuff I gave a lot of empirical evidence on I why this is tried and true it's not just some touchy-feely opinion I really researched as best I could because it's not a disorder it's hard to find research
0: right. and
1: in one of the researchers I found they call codependency pathological altruism which was very scary to hear Ooh. because you're so altruistic and believe the best and the worst of people. It's like I said, I would have picked up Ted Bundy, he would hitchhike with a cast on his arm in a college campus holding books, a compassionate person, which most of his victims were, Mm -hmm. do you see how this, this could actually, I think, be a better um, way of uh, addressing it as a You know, as a disorder, right? But truthfully, they can't. How can you make kindness and compassion a disorder? You kind of just can't, right? But people that live with it can feel disordered, and they usually are living with someone who is disordered. So, Mm. I addressed all that in this. this You
0: know, and it makes sense that it if there is so there's already the completely lacking in empathy, right? So. There are that is that is a disorder that is a whole, yes. and there are many different levels, many to it. Right? disorders. So yeah. it only makes sense that the opposite side of the spectrum, there is actual like issues there. Like it only yes. makes sense that if there's one extreme, there's one on the opposite side as well. There's no yes. way to say that there isn't because then you're just lying to yourself.
1: <laughs> yes. And we see these people become enmeshed in relationships easily because one has too much empathy and one has little. So I even put a 20 there's a, in, in the, in mm. the book, there is a graph, uh, on, on the con, uh, the contrast and comparisons of narcissist to codependence mm-hmm. it's, it's in there and it's not necessarily narcissistic, but anybody, he's just a selfish person and why they attract one another, hmm. but they're both driven by a subconscious fear of abandonment is what makes that trauma bond mm-hmm. so strong. So that's yeah. my book really covers a lot of that wow. and all the ramifications of it. And it even has a quick fixed chapter for when you think you're going to relapse because it is mm. a lot like addiction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, that may, if, as far as like the relationships and why these people attract one another, it's like, you know, the person who's pathologically empathetic (laughs) and altruistic is going to say, see someone who is lacking in that and say, I can fix them. I can fix them. And then the person who lacks in the empathy is looking at this other person wanting either, I feel like either wanting what they have or seeing someone they can manipulate, you know, it's, it's very much so they have what the other needs and that's
1: such a parasitic relationship. Yeah. It it is literally toxic, adrenaline, cortisol, you name a bad chemical and it is toxic. Yeah. And codependents actually do uh, get compassion fatigue. And some of them even pass away before uh, the person there. Yeah. 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 They pass away earlier than some people. So very important subject. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Life or death. Okay.
0: (laughs) What, what is it that you
1: hope that people are going to take away from reading your book? The most important thing that I want them to know, because most codependents are very resistant, including me when I said, no, I'm not, I'm just nice. I'm not codependent. (laughs) The resistance is there. And uh, Carl Jung, one of my favorite pioneers of psychiatry said, what you resist persists, meaning it Mm. just, it won't leave you alone. So if you're giving to you, give out and burning to you, burn out the takeaway. I want people to get from this is. You can still keep giving and living well. I'll repeat it. You can still keep giving and living well. Mm. You just cannot have your compassion be a compulsion. Mm. And I want them to know this is not about changing their loving, kind personality. It's about giving from a place of wholeness and wellness instead of fear Mm. and a need to be needed again. Mm. This isn't about changing their personality. It's about teaching them how to give and live well themselves, mm-hmm. how to be aware and self-care so they can better care for others. Mm-hmm. If I did not take care of myself as a therapist, I could not care for anybody that walks in my door. Mm-hmm. I could not do it. I've mm-hmm. tried it, didn't work, got mm-hmm. some help. <laughs> Asking for help is very hard for codependence. So if you're resistant about this idea, just be open to it and uh, don't close your heart to yourself because it, you'll feel selfish at some point in rec- recovery. And I always tell people that's the pivot point in recovery. The moment you think you're selfish or you're narcissistic, you have tipped that scale Mm. because you have to go from one extreme to the other to find balance. And that's what I want people to take away, That this Mm. isn't about changing them. It's about giving them a better life. Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and being able to notice when you need that self-care, you know, it's like talking about uh, going back to performing, right? So, you give so much of yourself in a per- in a live perform in any performance, but let's say like a live performance, and yes. everybody hopefully, I mean not everybody does, but ev- everyone needs to have their own way to come out of that, come down from that, because it yes. is a high. It is so yes. there is so much that like I'm I'm someone who I. I'll be so full of like adrenaline after a show that I need to like, I need to go do something to let that out. Otherwise I'm not going to sleep. And it doesn't matter how many times I've done that show. I still, I know that for myself, that's what I need in order to like slowly
1: come back to
0: reality. Really?
1: Yes. And it's a good point you bring up because Many times in my journey in the entertainment industry, I would hear how narcissistic people were in the entertainment business. I said, Are you kidding? They are a bunch of insecure people who probably didn't get enough attention, uh-huh. who want to give, give, <laughs> give, and share, share, share. It's the only business I know of where people just give so much. We do benefit performances, we do things for free. Are there a few narcissists? Of course, there are. Do people become that way because they believe their own press. Of course, they do. But at the core of all that, again, is an insecurity. Mm-hmm. So um, no, giving giving a performance, this same thing. It's like an addiction. You're giving, oh, that person loves me. The ultimate, and I, I actually addressed it in my book, is the Sally Field speech when she got an Oscar, when she for her to know that we loved her. We loved her before then. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I remember Conan O'Brien hosted the daytime Emmys one time and said it so beautifully. We have to cut the speeches short. No one can thank their parents because if you had good parents, you wouldn't be in show business, which was a joke. <laughs> but he got a standing ovation, and I remember hearing that because I was probably in my 30s, not a counselor yet, and I was crying and laughing at the same time. I yeah. said, "Boy, did he touch a nerve!" Yeah, because it doesn't mean we have bad parents if you're in show business, but you've definitely had something like mm-hmm. inside the actor studio where uh, the first question is always, "What was the difficulty in your childhood?"
0: Mm.
1: There's always some adversity that begets creativity, Mm. same thing in a codependent, some Mm. adversity or some belief system coupled with them being born with an extra amount of empathy Mm. can trigger these codependent responses and reactivity. And I teach them the physiology of it and how to recognize it and neutralize it. Mm. Wow. I used to be a songwriter. I used to, (laughs) I think in rhymes, I still think in rhymes. I love that. It annoys me, it annoys me too. I was a songwriter for years and they're very similar. Songwriters sit in a room and share their feelings and write songs about it and then go home and we're like, okay, now what? I've got to go mow the lawn. Yes. Oh,
0: you go, now what? Oh, yeah, now what? Exactly. (laughs)
1: Now what? Yeah.
0: And yeah, like some people, it's like, uh, when people uh, get upset when actors don't come to the stage door or when they're not particularly nice to someone who interrupts their dinner with their family. Yes. Like they don't owe you anything else other than they're exhausted. What they, Yeah. Exactly. Like leave them alone. <laughs> Let people yes. have their own way of, of coping of self care. Yes. And, and it you can only give so much of yourself before it then turns into this thing where you're like, oh, well, everybody expects me to do all these things. So I'm just gonna, I guess I'm gonna do them all now.
1: Yes, and it's debilitating and Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it is. So hopefully the takeaway is that you still can be you without having to give to you, give out. (laughs) Hmm. Was there a
0: part of the book writing or publication process that uh, was
1: particularly difficult for you? You know, I would love to say yes, but no, I cannot say enough. In fact, in the acknowledgement, I could not have been blessed with a better agent. I mean, it was a chain of events that happened. I said yes to myself and went to a writing retreat. Remember this, everyone, if you have a dream, (laughs) say yes to yourself. I went to a writing retreat with a friend. The instructor was the person who saw me writing this book for a different publisher. And I was miserable mm. because he wanted me to remove the neuroscience chapter and, and reduce it to two paragraphs and the um, financial chapter and reduce that to not much at all. I said, no, 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 no. These are like, this is what makes it different. Yeah. This is like the core of, this is the stuff that never gets discussed is money and neuroscience. Cause some of these fields are new and we're, we're studying this and economics has everything to do mm. with toxic mm. relationships. It does. So that experience, writing that she noticed I wasn't happy writing it. She introduced me to an agent who got the publishing contract with uh, Health Communications Incorporated, and they are magnificent. Hmm. The editor, unlike the other editor who rewrote everything, the editor I worked with, Camilla, she was amazing. Christine's amazing. The whole, the whole team's amazing there, I can't say there was anything difficult. Oh, nothing. It was, it was magical, but I did break the contract with the first publisher. So that was the only difficult thing because it's scary. I didn't have a publishing contract when I broke that. I know everybody's, you know, you hear all these, uh, urban myths, like don't, don't quit a job until you have one. It was so untrue to myself to let that book come out because in that original contract, it said, I'm the sole author. At that point, I had not been, it was like Barbie had interviewed a therapist and was just talking about how codependency was really, really, really r- like rough, you know, mm. that's not what it has. is <laughs> not the point of it. This is like really rough and you, but here's some good ways to fix it. I mean, I have humorous moments in it, Mm -hmm. but you know, I said, you know, like I said, I had to give my family secrets to the state of Texas. I'm glad it was a (laughs) big state because we had a lot of secrets, but you know, I didn't make it not humorous, but on the same token, I did break that contract without ever even Mm. imagining I would get another one. And I'm so glad I did. So remember if something's not true to you, Mm because the codependent, Absolutely. We'll do something not true to them. Mm. And when I read back what happened from the first publisher, I said, I, I'm no longer the sole author, I broke the contract without knowing, and nature abhors a vacuum. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So I let go of something and in came uh, wonderful Lisa Hagen And, uh, just everybody that was in the, that chain, Janet, mm. everybody, they knew who they are. <laughs> and thank you, Ru- thank you, Ruth, for asking me to go to a retreat in Wyoming, which we're doing, uh, in September to celebrate oh. this opening of the book. We're going to have a, a little celebration uh. there, but we, we go on a writing retreat and it's a great place on 65,000 acres with no cars and just oh. wow. open air.
0: Wow. I, it's a beautiful thing. I'm sure it's self-care. Yeah. Being able to look back. So I think so many times we forget, even in something like with where you started with the book, right. And then getting to where you are with the book now. Right. So I think so many times we forget all the things that happened to get there. And sometimes you can be hypercritical or you can be stressed out about this, that, and the third. And then if you like slow down and look at, you know what, this could have, been a very different thing it wouldn't have yes. been what I wanted it wouldn't have been everything that it is and like look how far it's gone and like that just shows how much you've come to being aware of yourself and your tendencies to be able yes. to leave that without yes it was it, difficult
1: you no know? it was but difficult like, and but I uh but I had that, like round of applause because wow like what amazing I, yeah. progress. I, I thank you, but I'll tell you, uh, people were shocked when I did that because I didn't have another book deal. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, that book I've written, I read it too. And I didn't just write it. I read it and I can't, I have to be true to me. So Mm -hmm. I'm very, I'm very thankful that that contract was broken without any fanfare or any difficulty because it was meant to be. It's also mm-hmm. a nice person that mm-hmm. that did that for me because there was agreement about it, but yeah, this is a truer version. So yeah, Janet Hubbard helped me mm. put this in perspective. And just because Ruth Boggs asked me to go to Ready Street Wyoming, who knows? I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's so, so cool. What you say? Been- yeah, you got to say yes to yeah, you. You do. <laughs> you do.
0: You absolutely do. Otherwise nothing's going to change. You're just a uh, the The whole idea of like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over yes. and over again, expecting different results. Like you can't yes. expect anything that you're unhappy with to change. No. Just by like, wishing
1: it would change. No, you cannot. You can, although wishing is a good start. I do is love that, wishing. That, wishing is a good start. Yes. A good start. First song I ever recorded was when you wish upon a star. Oh, Your dreams come true. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's
0: a good place to start, but yes, that's, it a, is. that's then you got
1: to make the concrete steps. Action. Yes. <laughs> wish and take action. Yes, that, yes, that yes. The law of attraction takes action. That's what mm. I tell people. You can't just wish it. You can't just wish you were a neurosurgeon. Mm. You have to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Or be a really terrible
0: person who pretends like they went to medical school and <laughs> does neurosurgery. Go. There you go. There you go. So I have to ask, what was your time like as a makeup artist for KISS, working with them? Like what, what was that whole journey like?
1: Well, it was, a. have put it in many interviews. It was a perfect starter job for a codependent (laughs) because my childhood was fraught with being the family scapegoat and secret keeper and good little girl. And if I ever stepped out of that role, I got in big trouble. Mm. So meeting the demands of four rock stars was nothing compared to my family. It really wasn't. Mm. And it it was actually wonderful because uh, I got to see the country. I got to travel and got paid. I got nice hotel rooms, but I also, you know, in retrospect, look back at it and it was the perfect job for a people pleaser because I, it, it wasn't hard for me. It was more boring than people might think. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a lot of work. It was every other day. We went in at about nine o'clock and got out about three o'clock in the morning. So you were never in a town more than two or three days. It was long times on the road and doing videos, but I also uh, learned a lot about business. And I think the best part of the kiss tour that I could put in context of what we're talking about is my first day on the job. Gene Simmons costume came in pieces from the, it it was awful. It came in pieces, his armor, which is not really armor. It looks like armor, but it's polyurethane. It's, it's a lot of stuff. And he was angry as he should be, but and he was transferring it on to me, which I could take. And I was already meditating. I'd been meditating since I was in my early twenties. Mm. And this was in my mid twenties. I so I've been into meditating for about two or three years. So I kept my peace and I said, you know, if you stop yelling at me, I can get this thing put together by showtime. He said, why aren't you upset? And I said, well, I'm not upset because the world is spinning on its axis the president still the president. It's just a rock show. You got another costume in the closet and really I can do it if you let me. So I just put thimbles on every finger and I stitched that thing up and got him on stage. And what, what the sewing didn't work, the duct tape didn't duct tape can fix anything, but a broken heart. I'm not too sure about that, but uh, I realized that in retrospect, I said, what a perfect job for a burgeoning codependent. Because, mm. you know, four rock stars, but they really, they were all pretty good to me. I can't, mm. can't complain about them either, either, you know, I, it, could it be wild sometimes? Yes. We didn't have the me too movement. You had to be your own me too movement. Mm. You just did. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to work in that field and I was also willing to not work in that field. Right. Right. I think that, you know, if I had an aside to say to anybody about that, you had, sometimes you have to be willing to leave something. Yes. In order to also be true to you. So yes, yeah. I I could I could either handle myself and if I couldn't I'd try to get somebody else to do it. And not just I'm not talking about just the rock stars, but just right being on the road, the, like there yeah. were three females on the tour of about 80 employees. So just, wow. you know, that constant, so you were either your own me too movement or, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have to be harsh to do it. You just had to be, mm-hmm. have firm boundaries. And those I had back then. Good.
0: Yeah. And I think that can be really scary too, because if you don't, if you're not willing to to like, if you've, if you've set out to do this thing with your life, right. And you're in this position and it's so hard to separate a job and your passion from yourself. And I think that it's so easy to define yourself by your job that you, you can struggle I do it all the time. I struggle to separate myself from my creative endeavors from all these Mm -hmm. things, because usually in a creative field, you've spent your whole life working for this goal or to be somewhere in this field. And so when something that you're not comfortable with is happening, it's hard to be like, uh, it's threatening. Yeah. It's so yes. scary because you can see the whole, your whole identity that you've given yourself. You can yes. picture it just dissolving entirely. Trumbling. Yeah. And it just gets, it, it can be paralyzing yes. and it's, it's so hard to, to separate. That's something that I'm still struggling to do is separating myself from like, Heather, the singer, well, Heather, the dancer, well, no, Heather. Integrate, uh, whatever. integrate
1: all those because you are all those when you integrate them. It's wonderful because when I was in Kiss's dressing room listen to Dolly Parton music and Jean, just being myself. And I kicked rock stars out of the dressing room because during the <laughs> show, they weren't allowed in there. I didn't know who they were. I said, if you're not Tammy Wynette or George yeah. Jones or Willie Nelson, I don't know who you are. And, yeah. you know, cause I listened to country music. I did listen to theatrical music. I love Lerner and Lowe, had Lerner and Lowe walked and I would have known who they were, but <laughs> I didn't know a lot of, especially heavy metal. This is not what I listened yeah. to. But Gene Simmons noticed because I was me mm. and he did like country music. And he said, you don't want to be here. Where do you want to be? And I said, well, yeah, it's like Gidget goes heavy metal. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be in Nashville. I write country music. It just mm-hmm. comes out of me. I can't not write it. I've tried to, it just, <laughs> I, I can't not do it. So yes, I mean, he did help me and I didn't have to enter Nashville at the bottom tier. I, I was introduced to people through wow. that. So again, just be true to yourself. And it yeah. is so difficult to do when you're in a business that teaches you not to be, yeah. you, it teaches you to be what everybody what you think you everybody be. wants you to be but then what what's crazy is that, yes that's what you they changed they change on you yes yeah. they change on you that's what same thing as a codependent do you see <sighs> that's do you yeah. see how closely related they are mm. being a performer working for rock stars and being a therapist all have that common thread of ah. trying to be the best you can be so everybody else is okay Is everybody happy? There's no people Mm -hmm. like show people. They smile when they are low, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing. So yes, to be true to yourself in the midst of giving is very important to always be Mm self-aware and and know when you've given out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, before we get to our last two questions, somehow we're already there. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to add
1: where we can find you, your book, or anything we didn't touch on? Well, it's um, easy to Google. It's uh, <laughs> my name's spelled differently, so you won't find a whole lot of me's. It's Mary Joy, and Joy is spelled with an E on the end, J-O-Y-E. And I'm at Winter Haven Counseling. It's my website. But I'm on Facebook as Mary Joy. J-O-Y-E. And also you can find me at HCI Life uh, Issues Publisher. I'm on dailyohm.com. I write courses for them. Uh, Amazon, indie books, books a million. It's going to be on the shelves too. So it's not just online, but on the shelves. And so they're just Google my name and they'll, they'll all show up eventually. I love <laughs> and I'm it. very happy about that. And I do yeah. have a YouTube channel, like I said, that I'm, I'm just now building to put meditations in for this.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's such a great idea. What a good resource. Like what a great, especially if someone's like gone through the book or going through the book, there's something comforting, at least for me, being able to put faces or noise or voices to the books that I'm reading or the books that I've read, especially if it's like the, the author or, you know, there's something that connects you a little more to it. You feel like it actually, oh, they did care enough when writing this book to then also add these other things and these more, like more in depth to continue the journey. The journey doesn't end at the end of the book.
1: It, no, you'll have Continuous. support. You can get you as codependents do. You can give the book away, but you'll still have those <laughs> meditations. You can go visit, <laughs> but, oh, but it's probably preferable to keep it for yourself. Cause you may put your, there is space in them to put your own lists at the end. So yeah. it's up to each person, but they will, they'll kind of be, you can just revisit them as needed. And yeah. I'm going to read the affirmations in there too. There is an audio book coming out. I have not oh, heard it yet on beacon books, but Um, that's it, it'll be found in a lot of places. So I just hope everybody that needs it finds it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome.
0: I also, I'm a big fan of indie books. So that's a, that's a great resource for anybody who's never gone through them to get things before.
1: Oh yeah. Indie books is great. I love
0: it. I love it. So many gems that you can find there and also like supporting
1: smaller businesses, you know,
0: that's important. It's only, you know, like.
1: Yes. And there's not, there's not a lot of, um, books about holistic healing for codependency. Very, I, I couldn't find any quite like this. Mm. I wrote it from a perspective of healing. This isn't my journey. Like I said, right. I put pits, bits and pieces of my journey in there because it's not a competition and everyone's different. But, uh, mm. I would add that this started after my brother's passing. It mm. was a very difficult time is untimely passing. And I had to face all those family secrets. Like I said earlier, mm. it, it, uh, it, that death brought me back to life. And I said, okay, time to be real mm. and heal and not necessarily in that order. So I had to heal and then get real. And I had a, I had a therapist. I went to two times in Sedona where I went to hike it out. Mm. And she said, don't write a self-help book, write another book, write a fiction book about this. And I went, no, that's not, I tried it. And it's like, it's too gory. It's too, it's too, th- no. Mm-hmm. So again, I said no to someone else and yes to myself. Mm-hmm. And this began from a journal. I started on a tile floor in Sedona recovering from dehydration from a long hike where I got lost. And I said, oh. yeah, and, I, and that's when I realized, because I, I was following a horse to get back from the trail, I got lost. I, then the <laughs> I, it a long story, but I <laughs> followed a trail, the rider on the horse, I said, I'm lost. And she said, follow the horse. You know what? And in that moment I had transformation and revelation. I said, Oh my goodness, manure is what we make fertilizer from. Yeah. And I went up there to get rid of my grief. And here I'm finding total relief. Again, rhymes again, songwriter in me, <laughs> but I, but I did, I said, this dark space is my friend and I'm going to have to embrace it. And I started writing a real journal hmm. That became the bones of everything I wrote after that. That I mm. I said this is this is important. These are no longer things that I do because I have to, must to, or was told to do. You just you you just have to be you. And I think the loving thing about this new generation is coming up as they are learning to be themselves more often. Mm. I love this new concept of bringing your whole self to your work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love it because mm-hmm. none of us are islands. Now, as a therapist, of course, it's going to be one sided,
0: mm-hmm. but.
1: It's all about relationship too,
0: mm. you know.
1: I do refer people out that I don't think are are going to be helped by me. Yeah. I mean, I have no ego about you. Forgo the ego, and you help people that way. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, yeah. Because then, because if you weren't, then you would be playing into the "I can help them, I can help them, I can help everybody, yes. I can do anything for anyone." Yeah, but, but then I can't do everything yeah, for everyone. Right? You can't you? Can't no. and not? Yeah, not everybody is going to be able to get the same things from someone and not everybody's approach is gonna mesh some people might need a little more like in your face (laughs) yes just being (laughs) like and and some people need the more uh guided thought process right yes they do well let's digest this let's like yes look through let's dissect that's why it's truly a holistic
1: it's truly a holistic journey because i'm covering the body the mind Mm-hmm. And the spirit mm-hmm. and and putting money and neuroscience into it too, <laughs> just to help people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: I ask the same last two questions to okay. everyone that comes through the podcast. First, what is your second favorite color
1: and why? <laughs> it's blue. And I didn't even know that was my second favorite color until you asked us. So thank you, Heather, for asking (laughs) me that, because I do know my first favorite color is green Mm. and why green and blue? I love green because the earth is carpeted in green grass and green leaves. And it's so soothing. Nature nurtures me. Mm. That is where I go to recharge in nature and blue, I said, what's my second favorite color? <laughs> uh, and I, the sky, cause I, I have so much turquoise jewelry. It's almost embarrassing. I've been collecting it <laughs> since I was a kid. I just love Navajo and, uh, Zuni and Hopi jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I love Sedona. That's where all those yeah. uh, came from. They're beautiful craftsmen there and beautiful people just love spending time with them. And, uh, it's because of the sky, yeah. I, because it's the sky. So one is the earth and one is the sky. Do so you like that and bright sky blue that? Yeah. Mm. And the turquoise blue and the ocean. Cause I spent a yeah. lot of time in the ocean yeah. as a kid. I mean, I was a scuba diving addict. So ah. how could blue not be my second favorite color Uh, but green is where you're safer you're on the ground (laughs) (laughs) yeah with blue you're either in the
0: ocean or in the sky so pretty much
1: which is (laughs) both are great but you need to come back to green once in a while (laughs) Great and question. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions. You're the James Lipton. People. You're the James Lipton of, of
0: questioners.
1: <laughs> that's a great question. Thank you.
0: When yes. like when's the last time you were asked what your favorite color is? And then have you ever been asked what your
1: second favorite color is? No, like... I love it. I loved that question. I said I love that question. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs>
0: and last, what in your opinion? is the best part of being a woman.
1: Wow, when I saw that question or hear that question, uh, this is a very difficult question for me to answer. So I'm just gonna totally be me flying off the seat of my pants right now. Mm. The reason this question is so difficult for me to answer is because my dear departed father taught me to act like a lady and think like a man. And my mother taught me that women were put on this earth to serve men. Mm wow, those are duplicitous messages. Mm -hmm. So I did adapt and adopt more of my father's side that I really just feel human. And that as a female, I may have something different to bring. I do believe the hunter gatherer thing is still alive and well, that women spend a fortune on handbags that gather and men spend a fortune on bass boats that hunt. But by and large, I really can, I relate to both Genders. The best part about being a woman is I can decide to relate to both genders and pick and choose the one I want to be in that moment. I can wear a blazer mm-hmm. one day and be real frilly at night. So being a woman, mm-hmm. I think you just you're more um, able to uh, just totally be yourself. I years and years ago, I just thought of this. I wrote a Claire essay. I won. It was when I was a kid. They said, um, "What do you love? About, what do you what?" makes you different as a woman. And I said, well, I could bait a hook at night and be at a gala ball in the evening. And I'm comfortable in both mm-hmm. avenues. I no longer fish don't like to do that anymore. But um, <laughs> yes, I think it's because I, you have choices. Men are really taught. Yeah. I think I, I actually feel for men sometimes, because they're taught that they have to, mm-hmm. they can't cry. They can't do this. You can't do that. And women are allowed to do these things. And and mm. so I guess, I guess just being a a woman allows me to be, to show more of my emotions without so much judgment as men might feel. So maybe Mm -hmm. that would be an answer to Mm -hmm. it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of being a chameleon. Yeah. Being able to, however you're feeling, yeah. Put on the, put on the sparkly gown and then maybe the next day you're wearing your I don't know, bass fishing. Yeah. What are they called? Waiters. Well, I used to the ride, ride horses. And I'd here. have a
1: scuba tank on one day and have a dress on the other yeah. night. But yeah, I think, oh, I, I, I think that. it's important that people are just really, you know, open to whoever they are, whenever. Exactly. But, open to, to allowing, allowing yourself to
0: follow. It's my, my whole thing. I stole it from improv is yes. And yes. that's just my whole philosophy on life. Yes, and. I feel like I just, yes, and it's yes, beautiful. Cause, yeah. Cause you can follow. If you find yourself being interested in rocks today, then like, all right, where can we go find some really cool rocks? Like go, yes. go on a, go find cool sparkly rocks. I don't know. Like, yes, but let yourself be interested in all these different things. Or, you know, if you're feeling really sad, and you want yes. to be sad. Sometimes you just want to be sad and that's okay. Like, it's put on, yeah, put on the sad movie, turn up the, <laughs> the really sad song that makes you cry every yes. time. Yes. And yourself and be comfortable in that because that's
1: human. That's so I innately that. human. Yes. And yes. And you brought up chameleon quickly in, in the book. I have a whole thing about being a chameleon because codependents are very good at being chameleons. Mm. And the only time a chameleon is vulnerable is when they're in the transition, mm-hmm. when they're chained, when they've jumped from a green grass to a brown rock, That's only that when they're trans, when they're doing that mm-hmm. transmutation or transformation. So yeah, the yes. And so, yes, that that's beautiful. I love that. It's a perfect full circle way to bring this to some real good synchronicity. meaning is mm-hmm. that. People need to go ahead and be whatever they are, but it's okay to experiment and be what you're not. So, you know, it's a process of elimination, which is what the whole book's about the process of elimination, what you don't want to be, what you do want to be. And sometimes you have to go down different paths, just like an improv. You get thrown, you get thrown improv exercises that I send clients to improv for social anxiety. So I'm a real have a real heartfelt thing about improv. Yes. You can be you, but sometimes you have to not be you to find out who you really is. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And it's also
0: like people already naturally do that with their, um, with the foods that they like, with the music that they listen to, that's already a skill that we all have. We all know what our, our, our top 10 favorite artists, you know, like, you know, what your taste is and that you know what your taste is in clothing and you probably had to experiment to figure out this doesn't really work for me I don't feel confident in this and so then that can that's a skill we all have it's just so scary to put it into past that surface level of yes
1: I like chocolate I don't like licorice, you know. <laughs> like, yes, experiment, and yeah. that is how to not be codependent. Is just like experiment, and be independent, mm-hmm. be yourself. That's mm-hmm. the whole idea. Just be yourself and find out who you are. Yeah. It takes a while; it's a process, and it's yeah. an ongoing, never-ending process. That's why I love your uh, your podcast because it, it everybody's stories matter mm-hmm. to everyone. We're all connected. We we really are all one. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Albert Einstein said, we're all breathing the same air and taking in the mm-hmm. same water every single day that wrote Earth rotates. So, thank mm-hmm. you for allowing me to be part of your platform here. It's really uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. I had I just loved this conversation. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people who didn't know. <laughs> that it would resonate with them. (laughs) Good,
1: I hope so. And and resistance is futile and what you resist persists. I know I was there. I was there. I resisted it. Yes, I did. I wish you all well in your journey, everyone who's listening.
0: (laughs) And thank you, historians, for tuning in again. You know the drill. Subscribe, follow, tell all your friends so that they can also have realizations about themselves <laughs> follow us on our social medias we're all over the place you can find us on instagram at women of her story podcast on twitter at the her story pod facebook women of Her Story, and you can always visit our website at ofherstory.com. until next week be safe stay healthy and show the world what you're made of